have David McCready, uh, the author of Real Alien Worlds, Volumes 1 to 7, The Great Simulators Part 1, 2 and 3, and the organizer and host of the Astral Academy, where David is helping others connect with their higher selves using modern astral projection techniques and simply learning to breathe properly. David's the author of the Great Simulator books, which offer a fascinating perspective into physical reality and shifting our awareness and mindset to astrally connect with higher guiding spirits, recognize and appreciate the special effects team of lower astral beings uh, who are happily providing the drama that you wanted to experience but have simply forgotten. David's experiences have taken him astrally to higher astral worlds and beyond into the non-physical and beyond the human form or ego. He's also experienced other parallel worlds and human civilizations and brought back a wealth of spiritual knowledge to assist others in doing the same. So today we, uh, we want to get into the coronavirus and find out how David's uh, methods and, and teachings can help people to um, help themselves in this scary time uh, for most people and to hopefully uh, be more calm. Welcome David. Thank you Ian and thank you for that lovely introduction. And what we're trying to do here today is say, how can we take a lot of that higher knowledge, higher awareness, higher abilities, and apply them to our very down-to-earth practical challenges of what to do about this coronavirus? And this recording was put together just in the middle of March uh, 2020. Uh, when the coronavirus in England was uh, kicking off, really. And we were at the beginning of what I think it'll turn out to be a bit of a long haul. So it's good to get your higher abilities focused on this sort of thing. And I'm sure that's what your uh, viewers and watchers are going to enjoy in. Any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. So before we get started, do you have any context around what a virus is, energetically yeah. and spiritually? Well, let's talk about it from both directions. In the context of a physical virus, it's really a very tiny thing. Uh, a virus is basically a DNA attack on you. And let's just mention what kind of illness we can get to build a bigger context. Say if you've got uh, something like plague, uh, that would have been in the 1600s. Well, that would be a bacterial infection. And that's something that modern medicine can look after very well. There are plenty of antibiotics that deal with bacterias. And they're quite a big, large lump of a being. But a virus is a much smaller, crafty little fellow. Uh, a virus is basically a little strand of DNA in a small package. And, and this strand of DNA needs to hit one of your body's living cells, climb in, and then it splices its way into your own body's natural DNA and starts that body's cell working in a mutated and rather unfriendly way. So the body cell, instead of doing its own thing and looking after the main body, suddenly becomes a virus factory and it produces lots more of these little virus packages and sends them sprawling out all around your bloodstream and into any fluids such as things you might be coughing out of your lung. So you've got this virus, as we said, it's a 
DNA attack. It actually attacks your DNA and reprograms what your body is doing. So I don't know, any scary thoughts or responses as I describe it that way? What kind of reactions do you think people might have? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I guess it all depends on how confident you are that you've got a good immune system. Yeah. You know. um, that's the fortunate thing about this in that uh, our immune systems are designed to deal with it. And what happens is we've got a two-stage response to it. The first one is when the immune system realizes that something's gone wrong and suddenly there's all these little virus strands floating around your bloodstream. Because what's happened is the little virus has come along, it's got into your system, it's infected some cells, they've infected more cells. So you have lots of little virus factories in your body churning out more and more viruses. And the immune system says, I've got to deal with this one. At first, it doesn't know what the virus really is or where it's to be found. But it can figure out which of your body's cells have gone wrong. So for example, if you've got a sore nose, What's happened is your body's immune system is actually killing cells within your nose. Or if you've got a sore throat, it's because your body's immune system is dismantling and removing the cells within your throat that have been affected. Uh, in the case of the coronavirus, this can all get quite serious for people because if your lungs get badly affected, uh, your lungs then, instead of breathing nicely, start to end up with a lot of fluid filling up inside them and you need to be put on a respirator to survive. So that's stage one of what the immune system response is. Stage two is then after a little while, your body's immune system figures out what this tiny little virus looks like. It learns to recognize it. And at that stage, it produces what are called antibodies, or put in another way, it's a bit like a chemical lock. And any time a virus swims out into the bloodstream, the body locks it up with a special chemical system so that it neutralizes the virus and it can no longer impregnate any more of your body's cells. The body then goes around doing a last cleanup, kills off any remaining virus factory cells inside your body, and with all the virus strands chemically neutralized, you then become immune to a virus and immune to it for life, which is the good thing. That same particular virus can't hurt you again. Different one can, but not that little one. So I hope that's reassuring news. That certainly is. <laughs> so from a perspective of a virus, um, people are obviously very worried right now on probably two fronts. A, they're worried about vulnerable and elderly people who may be, you know, succumb to the virus. And a lot of people are worrying financially as well. Um, especially a lot of spiritual people that run uh, businesses. Uh, people are very worried, I think, what can happen. And obviously the fear and worry of things collapsing can also create great anxiety. And that's when people also uh, may affect their immune system, perhaps. You know, so... Um, oh, yeah, go for it. So this, is, yeah. Yeah, this is so much uh, what we're really dealing with here is a situation where fear can make you more vulnerable to infection. And just to uh, finish off a little bit about how viruses operate, if you get virus coming onto the 
surface of your hand because you've touched something. A virus needs to penetrate some living cells. So the surface of your hand is not a great place for a virus to be. The surface of your hand and the outer skin is all covered in dead cells and probably a lot of harmless bacteria. So the virus can't really get through that. The virus really needs to get into your nose or into your mouth and be breathed into the body. So when people talk about washing your hands, well, it's a little bit useful, uh, but realize that it's actually airborne things being breathed in. And unfortunately, a virus particle can be so small that it can easily get through most of the masks you see people wearing. So the mask perhaps has a placebo effect more than actually protecting you from the real virus. So this virus can get in. We're all likely to be exposed to it. And that produces a general fear. So as you're pointing out, people have these fear reactions. Everyone's being told to hide away at home as far as possible. And as we're going to talk about today and just show about, that may or may not be the best thing, depending on what your circumstances are, because it can put you out of business and you'll eventually have to come out and the virus will still be out there. This thing will last for years in the environment. So going to self-isolation for a couple of months will not get you out of it. It's unfortunate to say, but the only real way to survive a virus like this is actually to become immune to it. And as you were speaking earlier about the fears of what goes on with people, getting past the fear of the virus is our most important message today. And this is where we'd like to bring people back to the reality they're experiencing and help get them past the fear. And I'm sure that's what people would like. That's a good plan. So have you got any thoughts on that, on that topic? So let's explain what the fear is doing to us right now. Hmm. If, for example, you watch the uh, media or you go out amongst the public, you will start to connect to the emotional energies of fear. I personally notice it to quite a significant extent if I go into a supermarket. You'll notice there that everyone's a little bit panicked. They're wondering what's going to happen next. And from a spiritual perspective, being anxious and panicking knocks you out of spiritual alignment. It, if you saw this from astral uh, viewpoint, so if you're doing a bit of astral projection or a bit of clairvoyance and looking down on what a human is like, you'd see that not only they've gone out of line, but they've got into a little bit of a spin. It's a bit like an aeroplane that instead of is flying along nicely, has suddenly gone into a strange kind of dive. And that kind of astral energy, even if you haven't contracted a virus, can rather bizarrely start to give you symptoms of it. And again, this is a strange thing to watch out for. We can, uh, even at this stage when being anxious about these things, start to import the symptoms of viruses, the symptoms of various forms of influenza, even though you haven't actually properly got one yourself. And also, under those conditions, it makes you much more susceptible to an actual infection. Because think about it. You're immune system is going to work best when you're in a very nice energetic alignment. When you're in a good energetic alignment, your body's default uh, status is healthy. 
In other words, everything will run perfectly. Your body's immune system is excellent at dealing with any form of viral or bacterial attack. It's got you to stay alive all of these years. And just realize how in that state of alignment and feeling very composed, you've got an excellent immune system. But if by comparison, you've got into a very frightened state and it's like you're in a kind of spinning state, I mean, it's common sense that at that stage, energetically, you're going to be much more vulnerable to the real dangers that are out there. Yeah. What kind of thoughts would you have on this? What would you say people would worry about in these situations? Well, I think people are most likely to worry about, as I said, money, uh, livelihoods, uh, fear of society collapsing and, um, yes. and, and fear of the elderly as well. So, I, you know, like, you know, there's... You could say it will, it will test people. It will bring out the worst in some people and bring out the best in others. So it's a, it's a, it's a great time if you want to be tested. Um, and obviously, I mean, in your books, you talk about the, the special effects team uh, of like lower beings that are constantly trying to test the ego to see which way you react. Um, the human really is like a reaction machine that likes to react to, to things. Yeah. And then you kind of have to deal with it. So it's like, Oh, I've reacted. Now I've got to deal with this situation. Thanks a lot yes. for that. Um, so there's a lot to react, isn't there? So in the context of the lower effect of the special effects team, how do you see this playing out in a normal individual? So two individuals, the one person that's, uh, you know, falling apart and deciding to buy everything they can, hold food, and, and the other person that's trying to help their neighbour. You know, what's going on there? Well, let's look at the two possibilities. The guy who's falling apart thinks he really has to hide away from this. That's going to be the guy who will probably be locked up in self-isolation. And his reality will have a belief system where this virus is something that's going to attack him, it might make him seriously ill, and it might kill him. Now, to be fair, if you're a very elderly person, that could be correct. Uh, the virus could take you out of this world. But for most of the rest of the people, the vast bulk of the population, uh, this virus is fairly unlikely to knock you out. And if you've got more of that attitude of being up for facing it and seeing this as more of a positive challenge where, for example, you can get to know your neighbors and get to interact with people more and help them out, that is inherently starting to align your energy system because that's bringing you back to the greater truth that we're really all one organism and we should really all be assisting each other. So it's helping to connect you into that truthful alignment that yes, you're a bright being and if you're being helpful and proactive about it, that's gonna make your immune system work better and even if you get a small dose of this virus, it's not going to kill you. You'll be okay. So with regards to money, um, do you, I mean, like, something you talk about in your books is, uh, you know, astrally, um, which we're trying to evolve our higher awareness to um, go and explore other civilizations. So if we, if we can, do a lighter astral projection we can actually go in and view other viewpoints in other in other worlds uh other parallel worlds even as well um this is probably a good thing other beings would probably want to come in right now and experience life 
through us here to see how humanity on earth is dealing with something like this. This is probably one of the biggest events really in, in generations to hit her. So I don't, you know, I was talking to my elderly neighbor who is, uh, is 87 and he said that he's never experienced anything in his lifetime like this in terms of the, the shutdowns, um, everything just grinding to a halt um, in, in peacetime. So this is kind of unprecedented. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let's go back to the uh, original point you're making in this, and that was on other worlds, they live differently. And having done a lot of astral uh, projection exercises to other worlds and met their occupants and brought a lot of people along uh, with me, so we do group sessions of doing this and saying how lot hello to other beings and finding out how they live is not just something I've experienced but the many people who I've done it with have found the same thing and if you do these astral exercises you'll be able to validate it for yourself so on other worlds when you've got more advanced societies they don't need money what they do have instead is a tremendous desire to contribute so say, for example, in that world, your role might be producing food, say some kind of farmer. You'd get up in the mornings wanting to do your farming. If you had another role in that society, like helping distribute food, you'd get up in the morning wanting to distribute food. That would be your desire. That would be your pleasure in life. And if you've got a society where everyone gets up in the morning wanting to make a useful contribution, that is going to make the whole society work. At that point, you don't need a means of exchange anymore because it's in a society where everyone is giving, where everyone is contributing. We, on our earthly world, have a situation where, for various reasons, people don't like to contribute quite as much, or they often do so reluctantly. Not everyone gets completely caught up in this, uh, but you do see it to varying extents. That we are working on this thing of your contribution is measured in a financial way, which isn't really a very even way of measuring it. Because for example, a mother bringing up lots of children and helping keep the population going is often rather undervalued, whereas by comparison, a banker seems to be very highly valued. And yet the mother is a very important person because without which there could be no bankers. So we've got a rather uneven system how this money measurement works, but nevertheless, that's the system we're operating in. And in our society, uh, we've suddenly had a rather bizarre instruction come out from our government, which is saying to a lot of people, please stop contributing. Please go home, maybe make some contribution from your home, uh, but in many ways, stop contributing. For example, uh, if you were living in a Spanish holiday area, you'd find that if you worked in a restaurant or some other part of the tourist business, your whole business has come to a halt. Maybe the government has told you to close your business down. You've essentially been told to stop contributing, and that will grind the society to a halt. Uh, we can't live like that. We have to be able to contribute, and that's how societies work. Money is merely a reflection of that, and in a strange way at the moment, our governments are asking us to stop 
a lot of our contribution process. So if we come back to that point you made earlier about neighbors starting to help each other, that's a really excellent sign of people trying to work their way around and start to contribute again to the welfare of the society they're in. Yeah. So there's lots of rumors. Some people see this as a, a golden transition to maybe away from money. Other people see it as a transition to a, a more dystopian future. Other people see it as uh, three months of hell and then back to normal. So it'd be interesting to see which way it goes. But um, uh, but yes, I think we just so, all need to keep so our heads, don't we? So let, let's turn our attention then to what we can actually be doing about this in a positive way. And you made these very useful comments earlier about helping our neighbors, helping the society around us remain functional, remain operational, contributing to it. Because if we had no money, that's all we've got left is what's the contribution we're putting into that society. The first thing we really want to get you focusing on is what is your state of being? If you go into a state of being when you're in energetic alignment, where you're breathing properly, where you're putting out a very healthy, uplifting emotion, that will start to keep not only you healthy, but it'll help the people around you. And this is the reality check that we really need to get stuck into right now. Are you, as an individual in this scenario, bringing in those healthy, more uplifting emotions? Because think about the alternative. If you're bringing in a lot of fear, if you're bringing a lot of anxiety, you're putting an emotional uh, blanket around you that is likely not only to affect you negatively, but it affects the people around you. You get a group emotion of, we're all going to be sick. And that creates a kind of self-fulfilling pro prophecy, which is very unhealthy. So you can contribute to the situation you're in by taking on a much healthier attitude and just breathing that through. Make sure you are breathing properly in a happy, aligned way because that's what your immune system needs to respond to this. The only way through this crisis in the end is to develop immunity to this particular virus. You've done it with all the other ones in the past, all the colds and flus. You've developed immunity to all of them and the extreme likelihood is that you can develop a great immunity to this one as well. Once you've caught it, you're not going to catch it a second time. That's it. And then you can't be a carrier of it. So you can visit the old folks, you can visit elderly grannies and granddads, and you won't infect them and put them at risk. So the fastest way through is to get that immunity in place by being in an energetically aligned state and putting a positive attitude out that you have a strong immune system. Are you feeling uplifted as I'm speaking? Very much so. So we sh should we do a meditation? Do you, wanna, do you wanna go for some steps of a meditation with the breathing? Because I think your breathing techniques is very important and uh, it's worth just going through those again with the, the diaphragm, breathing properly, grounding with nature as well that we discussed before. Yeah. It would be appallingly negligent of us if we didn't do that. <laughs> so let's just mention, I'm going to stand up for a second. What do we mean by breathing properly? At this level in your body, roughly, you've got a diaphragm, and it goes up and it goes down. It goes up 
goes down. If you think about coronavirus, when it really attacks you, it's attacking your lungs, putting a lot of fluid on them, and ultimately gets you into such a bad state where you don't want to breathe properly anymore. Um, people have to shove a respirator or ventilator system on you to force the air in, otherwise you'll die at that point. So in many ways, the virus makes you so miserable, you'll start losing to the will to live and you're being kept artificially alive. So we want to go in the exact opposite direction. Like everyone who watches this recording to realize one of the most useful things you can do right now is to be happy to be alive because your immune system is going to take that as a big thumbs up as, yep, this body wants to stay alive. Let's keep it that way. That's the way we want to go. So when you're breathing, what we want to happen is for your diaphragm to go down when you breathe in and up when you breathe out. Now, most people have heard about this, uh, and in the office building I'm in one day, I met uh, a wonderful woman who was into doing a bit of yoga practice, and I said to her, do you manage to get this diaphragm breathing to work? And she said, well, she tried, but she'd never got it working properly. So today, for everyone who's watching this, let's do some exercise to help getting it moving better. And the first thing to do is to just Feel where the diaphragm is. And if you want to get it moving, just squeeze your stomach to push the air out of your body. It's like push your stomach in and up to push the air out of your body. And then to get the air back in, relax. Now, this is a little bit of a crude way of getting it started, but it's a great way to train your body what to do. Let's keep going. To breathe out, you squeeze your stomach and push it in and up. And then to breathe in, you relax. So air out is give a little push, push the diaphragm up. And then to breathe in is relax and let it drop back. And to many people who do this for the first time, it can feel like you're breathing backwards. Um, in fact, what's happening is we're getting you breathing the right way round, but you may have been breathing backwards yourself for years, and now backwards looks backwards to you, and you follow the mindset. Uh, but newborn babies, when they're born, breathe using their diaphragms. That's the natural way. And then for various reasons, adults lose that ability and have to then be retaught how to do it. So we get you breathing well and breathing in a deeper way. And as you're breathing in a deeper way, because you're breathing more efficiently, you can start to slow down your breathing. And as you slow down the breathing, let's also start breathing with more of a smile. Let's breathe in a happier way so that you're telling your body that you're happy to be alive. You see, this happy to be alive emotion is one of the vital weapons in our arsenal against viruses. Viruses are crafty little things. As you're mentioning at the beginning of this video, not only have they spliced your DNA to turn your body's healthy cells into little virus factories, but they also make you fearful and miserable. 
And by making you a bit miserable, you've got less of that happy-to-be-alive emotion. And that's good news for the virus because that, in fact, inhibits a lot of your immune response. So a simple way to get on top of a virus is to bring more of that happy-to-be-alive emotion back into your body and literally breathe it through with each breath. So in each breath, you practice breathing deeper and letting that emotion come through you and smile more. Smile in a happy way. And how is it starting to feel as we're working on this here? What sort of feelings do you get in your body? What's it like? Well, for me, I feel, I feel very relaxed. Um, my, my breathing initially felt very clunky um, and hard work. As soon as you sort of concentrate on it, you've, it's like when you, you concentrate on your heart. It's the worst thing you can do. You sort of think, oh, I've got to make it move. I've, I've got to make my body breathe. Um, but after a while, I felt the, the breathing becoming more relaxed and it started to slow down. And actually, as it started to slow down, I felt more a powerful breath. It's like the breath became more yes. potent going in and going out. And, and I started to feel that relaxing feeling going through the whole body. Yeah. So let's realize what's happening. When you start to breathe properly, you're taking a lot of your, let's call it higher potential, higher ability, higher self energies. There's a whole lot of stuff up there. But you're getting a lot of that higher potential down into your physical body. It's coming into your physical body, and that's why you start to feel like a more powerful being. So if you're doing this exercises and you don't get that sensation, just wind back the recording and do it a couple more times until you do get it. If you're a beginner of this, it can take a few goes. If you practice before, you'll get it quicker. Don't feel afraid just to go back and practice this until you start to get the feelings. So you're describing it rather well. You get that powerful feeling. And then at this point, we get a little bit more energetically aware. And at that moment, you realize how it's like you're getting bigger. It's like your aura, instead of being shrunken, is starting to enlarge. Because in fact, you're a much bigger being than a small physical human body. It's like if someone looked at your aura or looked at your energy, they'd see a bigger being when you're breathing well. And helping that bigger being in the background invisibly to us normally, but if you're clairvoyant or doing astral stuff, you'd see them. There's a whole team of guiding spirits helping you out. And what they're doing is like pouring a brighter energy into your body. They're there to help you out. They've got nothing else to do. When you die, they'll give you a big hug and say, welcome home back to the heavens. Uh, <laughs> but in the meantime, they're just helping you be here. In fact, they see it as their job to help you out. So if you can let that bright energy through, well, wow. you're even doing them a favor in some ways. So let's breathe through with that right now and breathe through more of that happier feeling, realizing there are some guiding spirits around whose job it is to keep you going. It's like you're like a diver down on the ocean floor and there's this, like this airline up to the surface, this airline of energy, and they're just helping pump that energy down to you. What does it feel like when your mind realizes this work and you breathe it in? Again, what's the feeling in? I close my eyes now because I just wanted to get a different sensation. 
and um, if it feels really sparkly. I mean, I'm not I'm not one for great visualization, but I feel in my mind's eye just a, a very sparkly awareness. Um, it's like feel... a, a stream of sparkly coming mm. into really, rather yeah. than a sparkler on a dark night. It's like it's, um, it's a stream of sparkliness coming in. Yeah, the the the, the feeling or the, the visualization I get is like um. You know, when you see water or the sea and you've got sunlight and it basically reflects off the surface and you get all those little glittering light particles. Um, it's like that. I can just get that kind of feeling. Um, and I've got the breathing down to a T now. I must admit, I, I hadn't really perfected it until now. I've, I've actually realized the, what you were saying earlier about the reverse breathing to uh, sort of let go of the stomach where you've got the full air and then it pushes the air up into the lungs. So I wasn't doing that. And, I've done it. So yeah, yeah. Remind of yeah. what we push the air out of the body. It's diaphragm up, stomach up, pushes the air out of the body. Relax the stomach, lets the diaphragm drop, and helps mm. pull the air in. Yeah. And as you learn to do this, you'll find you start to do it with really minimal effort. It's like your muscles can do this in a very gentle way. That's awesome. So there we go. So we've got the sparkly stuff coming through. Other people watching this may not perceive it as sparkly stuff. It'll be different uh, for many people, but you will get a sense of something nice is coming through. And now the next step in breathing well is not to hang on to it all for yourself because you are a flowing entity. You're not one that tries to build it all up like some balloon at a party. If you try doing that, uh, eventually you feel like you're knocking yourself out. So if anyone does this exercise, you feel like you're passing out and going to sleep. It's because you're not flowing. So what are you going to do with this all this light? And the simple answer is, can we flow it into nature? Can we flow it into the environment around us? Can we flow it into the other human characters around us? And in order to get that nice flow, a great way to just start it, to get it up and running, is to connect with any nice flowers or trees or plants and breathe through nicely and share it with nature because nature helps you out. Not only are the guiding spirits pouring that energy into you, but the nature spirit beings will come in from below and pull it through. So you get an even better flow. And just feel what it's like as you connect to nature and let nature help pull that energy through, help pull it through your being. Yeah, what does that feel like, Ian, as you allow that to happen? It's interesting. Um, I mean, I have been practicing this, by the way. So um, it, it, it's, it's like it becomes more of a like a channel so you, you, you so i feel anyway this is i i feel things more than see so i i feel like an energy coming in and you kind of get like a tingles going from my whole body but i feel in it kind of channels out uh down straight through me so, so it comes in through the top of my head and goes straight down in into the earth it's almost like it becomes a river um it's just like a flow of energy like a feeling and, and i imagine like you said that's healthier because obviously you wouldn't want a, a stagnant pond of water where uh, it, it goes dirty. You, want, you obviously want the energy to flow. So 
I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting thing because I've never really looked at it like that before. You know, you kind of think, oh, I'll build up this whole white light thing and just bring it all in my body. Um, and you think, actually, what have I done? You know, you're going to just blow yourself up into a huge balloon. So that's a really good advice. And, and I, I did feel that then. And I, and I mean, I have been practicing that for since we last spoke. So thank you for that. So let's carry on now. We're now recognizing that, in fact, if you want to get really bright, you do it better as a flowing being. That's where you get the most power to the system. And let's go back to the idea again of the atmosphere we find ourselves in. I mentioned it earlier, and I'll reiterate it a little bit again because it's worth uh, describing. Uh, on on uh, a few days ago, it was. I went to my local supermarket and it was packed full of people, but not a lot of things to buy. So there's a lot of anxious people wandering around the supermarket. And I could sense uh, from a higher level uh, that the beings who watch in on us know this is our own creation. So they were finding it uh, both of concern that they wanted to help us, but also kind of amusing that we were denying this was our own creation in a rather strange way. Uh, so they've been amused by that too. But meanwhile, in the atmosphere of the supermarket, it was really heavy. And when I walked out of that supermarket, I could feel all sorts of symptoms of sore throat and cough and colds and flus. And this wasn't coronavirus. This is just the everyday sort of viral type symptoms that were going around. But I could feel the energy of those symptoms, even though I didn't have a proper cold or flu. I'd actually taken it on board. It's like I'd made my aura very dark and blocked and clogged up and unhealthy. And the reverse way out of that one was then, as all of this was happening, was to actually push it in reverse and start become more of a flowing being. So instead of going into a sort of fetal ball, it's like turn yourself into more of a flowing bright being where you can start to help all of the beings around you. It's a group energy. So if you start bringing a brighter energetic state into the beings around you, this is something that will also affect them. In the same way I could feel all the symptoms of colds and flu coming into me, I can flow back the energy of being healthy. And isn't this a nicer thing to do? What does it feel like for you and as you switch into the flow of being healthy and sharing that with the world around you? What does that feel like? <laughs> um, I need to practice that more in a moment, I think. Um, <laughs> well, we're working on it, yeah. yeah. I, I feel good. I, I feel at the moment, I, at the moment I feel at peace and, and I feel glowing and very relaxed and I like a numb feeling it's like a, I say like a, a numb sparkly feeling I'm trying not to connect with anything that's going to make me feel uh, bad or fluy at the moment and that's an interesting thing you know like do you you know as, as like healers for example um, if you try and heal somebody is there a risk of taking that on is there more that healers should be doing to protect themselves if they're trying to give healing or give it give out a, a positive energy uh, Ian, you're a master of intelligent questions <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much Let, let's say have a look at what's going on uh when you're healing someone uh from a condition if someone's uh 
unhealthy and you looked at them clairvoyantly, you would see their energy system, their aura, in a rather disturbed state. Uh, and it's worth mentioning, by the way, that on more advanced worlds, uh, what passes for doctors on those worlds, so they often use different expressions, uh, what passes for doctors is someone who can see a whole energy system. And we're living in a slightly primitive environment where you go to the doctor and he can't see your energy system. In fact, to be fair, he's probably looking in the other direction anyway. He's probably doing this. And if you go to the GP, you'll actually see he's been most of the time typing and not even looking at his patient. So that's a rather weird environment we're working in where doctors are not actually looking at their patients and they certainly haven't been trained how to see their auras. So. If you saw someone's aura and you saw it was a bit disturbed, and many healers can sense this and do that, what a healer essentially does is a bit like a computer reboot. He says the computer's got some weird software running on it. If we just reboot the system without completely closing it down and killing the patient, of course, we just put it through the reboot cycle, the aura will come back into a state of natural alignment. And when it's in natural alignment, the body says, ah, that's what I have to copy. And the body, which takes the aura as its guidance, will then go into a state of complete health. So think about that. When a healer's working, they're rebooting the whole system. And how are they doing that? They're in fact doing it by using a lot of higher unconditional loving energy and flowing it down into the human body and that's why being a healer can be a great job because you spend all day experiencing this higher unconditional loving energy or at least all that part of the day you're working with it so that flows it into the body and that's sending an instruction into the body to just go into a healthy state and i'd like to emphasize how this works it's done unconditionally a healer when they're working unconditionally, is saying, I'm giving something beautiful and lovely for someone. They don't have to accept it. But I think they're going to choose to because it's making such a nice choice. It's a choice between eating something nice or a choice between pouring vinegar down your own throat in the form of unhealthy emotions. And most people then, with a little bit of just coming back to the reality they're in and a bit of waking up, will make that nice choice. They'll choose a nicer energy and they'll allow the healer's energies to flow through them. And by the way, it's not quite the healer's energy, it's the energy the healer is channeling to flow through that person. So healer needs to be sensitive to the energy state someone's in in order to see what needs repairing. So they need that sensitivity. They will experience some of the symptoms of the person they've encountered, just in the same way I was describing earlier. I could walk into the supermarket, and while I'm there, I'm getting the symptoms of minor colds and flus because people are very anxious about it. And I don't think there are many coronavirus cases there, but plenty of minor colds and flus, and people had that anxiety. I could feel the symptoms of it. I could experience it myself. And then... What I did was to switch it round and come back into that more healing state. And if you do it that way, where you're working unconditionally, as a healer, you're not going to be troubled by stuff. The two ways, of course, as a healer to get yourself messed up is number one, become conditional about it and demand that everyone you're helping get better 
it may not be that person's choice to get better and demanding they get better makes you vulnerable to their symptoms. And the second way uh, for a healer to make themselves ill is to overdo it. Flowing this kind of energy and connecting with other people is something that you can do for chunks of the day, but you probably can't do it all day in this world. So if a healer overdoes it, then they're making themselves vulnerable. So the healer will do a better job by being more unconditional and, and by just doing it in a managed way. Over to you. What's the feeling of that as I'm describing this? Yeah, that's, that's really sound advice, actually. And uh, I think the unconditional thing makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, a lot of times you, in certain religious circles, people will be demanding for healing um, and, and never receive it. But, you know, <clears throat> so healing seems to be a two-way thing between uh, the person who's given it. But I think uh, somewhere on the line, the person that needs it has to be perhaps recipient to it or allow it to happen in some in some kind of way yeah. self-healing is very powerful i know that if you do if you can still yeah. you can certainly self-heal yourself with a really good positive mindset so um uh, yeah so let's look again at how we can help the society we're in with this sort of approach and this sort of skill um we've been told at the moment to go and self-isolate and all hide away in our homes in order to not to produce a big wave of casualties. Because if we do a few numbers uh, about, for example, where we are in England, England, uh, when this recording was done, had 5,000 ventilators. Uh, and even on the best case scenarios, when they worked out how many were they gonna need, it was at least 10,000. And if you had a big wave of illness, it could be like 100,000 people needing ventilators. And if you've only got 5,000, not good. <clears throat> You know, some people are going to die as a result of that. So the government suggested everyone self-isolate in order to slow down the spread of infection, which has a, a logic to it. You know, you don't want a big rush of people descending upon the NHS, which isn't too well uh, configured to cope with these kind of numbers at the moment. They also had mentioned before that uh, the idea that a herd immunity where everyone in the community had become immune to the condition would be a good thing because if you're immune to the coronavirus you don't transmit it anymore so if you're immune to it you can see as many elderly people as you want you're not going to communicate it to them anymore you're not going to pass it on because you won't carry it unless of course you've rubbed it on your hands and stick your hand down their mouth but that's a pretty unlikely scenario so let's see about that what we do need to do in a rather brave way is by one means or another come into contact with this virus and if we're staying in a nice healthy state our immune response will be very quick it will be very swift you may get no symptoms at all you might get a small cold or flu type symptom doesn't matter what it is the important thing is that you just let that immune response recur you're relaxed with that you make it happen and you allow yourself to become immune to this virus. Because it's going to be around for years. You're not going to be able to get away from it. The isolation technique of hide away from a few months and it'll be gone uh, is not going to work in the end. You will get exposed to it. So by being comfortable with being exposed and realizing you've got a very capable immune system, working with your higher energies and letting them through, 
interacting more with your guiding spirits to help that flow, connecting more to nature, you're going to have a very strong immune response. You'll be able to share that with people around you. And then this idea of having herd immunity comes into practice. In the meantime, whilst you're going through this from a practical point of view, yes, do be careful about interacting with anyone who's very vulnerable due to illness or age. That's the point at which you want to be careful about your interaction with them so you don't infect them too prematurely because at some stage they have to come into contact with it and perhaps let that be a time when the NHS is better able to deal with it. So there is a certain logic in the younger people becoming immune and protecting the older people and allowing them to go through this in a more gradual way. Because ultimately that would produce the smoothest transition until we've all developed our immunity to it and we have a nice stable society. Well, that's very well said. And uh, I think what you said there and, and adding in the meditation uh, has been very valuable in this show. And I think there's a, we can round it up now because um, I don't want to make it too long. I want people to be able to watch it without feeling that it's a chore. If you have something too long on YouTube, people think, whoa, that's too long. I'm going to skip that one. Um, so anyway, before we go, is there any, any last thoughts or anything you want to say? Well, I share a higher awareness thought, and that is when you go visiting other worlds and you meet smart beings there, you get reminded that this world we're experiencing is a powerful illusion. They can actually just show it to you they can show you how it's happening it's a bit like you might be watching think you're watching a movie but they take you behind the scene and show you how in fact it's an engineered illusion and yeah. it's an illusion you wanted to experience and when you accept the reality that it is something you wanted to experience and embrace it that helps keep you in a better state so if you're in a complaining state thinking that this is some weird earthly experience you never never wanted not this one what we'd say is stop kidding yourself because that's actually going to make it more real and likely to bite <laughs> you can transcend yeah. this brilliant excellent advice i'm trying to actually picture that with a projector holographic projector that's fantastic well i really appreciate you coming back on today uh, David, and uh, I really hope we can connect again soon. It will be a pleasure. Okay, thank you very much, Ian. Thank you. See you around. <clears throat>